0: Welcome to the Non-Technically Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Ivy Shu. Here, I interview leaders in tech with a non-technical background from established leading markets like Silicon Valley and Beijing to emerging markets like Nairobi and Jakarta. We explore what business and operations-minded leaders bring to tech companies and the impact that they're able to make. I may also pop in here to solo show and share some stories of my own. I hope that all this content inspires you to confidently develop your own empathical career as a non-technical leader in tech. Join the community of listeners and non-technical leaders by visiting nontechnicallyspeaking.com. You are listening to episode two. Today, I am here with Joyce Zhang. Joyce has worked extensively in the emerging markets, including China, Singapore, Kenya, and Bhutan, particularly in their growing tech sectors. She is currently the CEO of a global talent marketplace, Alaris, which promotes international skills and knowledge exchange by matching talent in developed countries with emerging market opportunities for which they can have the greatest impact. I met Joyce years ago on a networking platform called Weave, a platform that matches professionals for coffee and you meet someone new every week. That day, on our first coffee date I meet to this day is that she believes in testing out all the hypotheses of what her life could look like. I'm so, so excited to have Joyce here with me today. Thanks for having me, Ivy. So we met a few years ago and what really inspired me was your history and testing out, you know, different lifestyles, different careers. Could you first tell me how your background led to Alaris?
1: Sure. Well, I guess, um... Just to take a quick step back, when I was in college, I studied international relations and economics. So I was always interested in this concept of the globalizing world, of labor economics as well, of different job markets and different ways in which people who are the most valuable assets can have impact in many different markets. And after school, I actually worked for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and worked on financial regulatory reform policy. It was during the financial crisis, but I was always interested also in actually having operational experience abroad. So right before graduate school, I went and worked for Groupon, which is a tech company based in Chicago, but that was expanding into China. And that was probably my first foray in actually working both operationally for a startup, but also in the emerging markets. And part of that experience, actually, many years later, led to Alaris. So fast forward, in between Groupon and Alaris, I went to graduate school, I uh, worked in East Africa, I worked in Southeast Asia. I traveled to about 90 or so countries at this point, but along the way, I always thought about Actually, how privileged I was to be able to do these things, but how difficult it was, especially at the onset, to find a job in a country in which I had no network, even though I spoke the language, I spoke Mandarin, and I thought that with the background that I had, maybe I would be a good value to a company. Uh, but because I'd never lived in China, I was born in the US, I actually found it really difficult to find a job. And so... That's partially what we do with Alaris. We're a global talent marketplace that connects Western educated and experienced talent with emerging market roles where they can have greater impact and where the emerging market companies who've in some ways been bottlenecked in their growth can actually leverage the talent of people who have experience in markets such as Silicon Valley or other economies.
0: Because you speak Chinese and your first international experience was in China, what do you think was the most that you gained from those experiences that you wouldn't otherwise <laughs> if you had just stayed in the states?
1: I feel like I, I gained an incredible amount. I mean, where to begin? Not even working abroad, but just traveling abroad is so eye-opening. I, I think it's, you know, there's no, you gain more empathy, there's no real price you can put on the value of having that experience. Um, you gain more empathy, you gain an understanding of how different markets work. You realize that a lot of things you took for granted and you didn't even realize were the norm or not the way that things are done in other countries. You are more adaptable. You meet a lot of incredible people who open up your way of thinking. You know, I, I just thought it was really valuable. And anytime I actually am in a different work environment, it doesn't even have to be in a different country, but I, I actually find that to be a really valuable experience.
0: I understand that your target market for bringing overseas educator or experienced people to emerging markets is mostly returnees. Uh, what do you think are the greatest opportunities for returnees to make an impact in their home countries?
1: I'd say it's not. Uh, we have many returnees, but it's also what I would say are first or second generation immigrants and also just people who are interested in those markets but have no heritage um, or previous experience in them. And I guess if I were to look at those as three distinct categories, each one brings different opportunities, and they they bring different ex- experiences and skills. So for returnees, in some ways, it's the most natural, because they're returning home. And for many of them, they've actually been looking for opportunities to come home. Perhaps they were born in, let's say, China or India or uh, Indonesia, Tunisia, Senegal, etc. And when they went to school in the US, Canada, UK, France, many of them actually in the back of their minds thought that one day eventually they would go back home. So for that group, it's a matter of, a lot of times it's a matter of timing and the right opportunity. You know, they worked so hard to get a great education or to get a great job in a very competitive job market. And so they don't want to give that away, so to speak, without having a really good opportunity. But at the same time, they recognize that, you know, if they worked at a, uh, at a Fortune 100 company in the U.S., and that gives them unique capabilities to build up that ecosystem in their home country and depending on when they go back they can even be the uh, market leader where they can localize a lot of the business models that they've seen work in the US that don't previ- that hadn't previously existed in their home country so that's you know that's definitely one category but then another big category of course would be immigrants who perhaps when they were really young, their parents immigrated. And so they were, they grew up overseas, or they were actually second or third generation. So they were born in the US, UK, Canada. And for them, they still undeniably have a heritage pull back to their home countries, but they've never lived there. Perhaps they speak the language, but even, you know, slang and other common vernacular changes. So when they go back, sometimes people tell them like, oh, you sound like my grandma or you sound like my aunt, you know, because that experience that they have is so different. Um, The heritage and the culture that they've experienced through their parents or through their grandparents isn't doesn't fully capture what's happening in a modern context. So for them, I think a lot of it is also a bit of root-seeking. They want to better understand themselves. They want to better understand their families, where they come from. And they also see the unique opportunities that they can bring, kind of as a bridge or someone who understands all sides. And then for the third category, the um, people who are just curious or interested, maybe they took a couple of years of Japanese or German when they were um, in school, and so they're, they're interested in um, you know, foreign languages and traveling, but they've never worked overseas. They also have really unique experiences that they can bring, but for them it's even harder to find that right fit where you know, they're relevant enough in terms of their linguistic abilities, but also the skills that they have to offer are really uh, uniquely valuable.
0: Cool. So focusing on the immigrant level, because I am myself someone who immigrated to Canada when I was four with my parents. And this time, uh, this year, when I went back to China and spoke with many entrepreneurs and tech leaders, what they're pitched to me to go back and work in China was that the opportunity of my generation, our generation, is to help Chinese companies expand overseas. So aside from that, do you see any particular roles that immigrants would play a big role into back in where they, they might have roots?
1: I mean, that's already a really big opportunity of helping companies globalize. But I think even more important is what does globalization mean? Globalization does mean, um, in many ways, having a presence in other markets. But more importantly, it means having the trust and the relationships in other markets. And I think that many immigrants have actually a really unique opportunity to improve international relations, trust and transparency, and perhaps even helping a lot of these Chinese companies really adopting global or international business standards. Because one of the things you might find is that Chinese companies are very good at operating in China, and they're very effective. As a matter of fact, there's a, there are a lot of examples of foreign companies that have tried to enter China unsuccessfully. But when Chinese companies or you know companies from a lot of emerging markets try to globalize, they find that the same obstacles are in their way, if not even more obstacles, than when an American company or a Canadian company might, might want to go to China. And part of it is just because they don't understand international business as well as someone, perhaps, who grew up overseas would. And they really look to those people to speak their language literally and figuratively but also be able to give them context for why certain things work and they can use that information to strike a better balance between localizing while still maintaining a lot of their culture and a lot of what makes them uniquely successful in their own markets.
0: Yeah uh, that's something that I am considering myself uh, uh, right now. So the other demographic of returnees, uh, someone who has grown up in their own home country and then moved abroad to study or to work. Looking back at their home country, what do you think are factors that they should consider when determining when the right time is to go home?
1: It really depends, and it's a very personal choice. I think for many people, it can hinge on things like family. Um, it can also and family on all different ends. So one could be the older generation if they if their parents or grandparents are still living at home um, in in their home country and they're aging and they need their kids to come take care of them or help them especially in families where there's only one child. There's a lot of responsibility for the children to find some way to provide for their parents. And so I think that's usually one moment in which I see a lot of people actively looking for a chance to return. Another could be on the other end of the generational spectrum, which is their children. When their children are really young, I think I see a lot of people express an eagerness to have their kids, you know, grow up speaking multiple languages or understanding their heritage, something that perhaps for, you know, the older generation of immigrants wasn't possible. The fact that now a lot of people from East Asia or Southeast Asia, especially and the Middle East, etc., can actually be expats in a country as opposed to just immigrants means that they don't have to book a one-way ticket. They can actually book round trip tickets and they can spend time in different geographies because they have the means and the access to jobs that would make them to, that would actually give them that global lifestyle so i think they can actively choose in a way that earlier generations couldn't choose when it comes to timing to return home and then of course outside of family there are a lot of other reasons people would go back and those reasons would include lifestyle reasons um, in many ways people perceive that in the emerging markets you know, the cost of living is lower, it's very comfortable, and there are many ways in which they can make, make ends meet in a way that perhaps in a city like San Francisco or New York it would be very expensive for them. There's also impact, and I think this is a lot of what we focus on, which is the opportunity that they have to really have disproportionate impact because they are in a market that really needs their skills. And they can, you know, do everything from lead a team to build out a new product to really try to revolutionize in some ways how business is done.
0: I like the last part of that answer. I think that's what I'm trying to get at as well is if you were giving advice to someone that might be a new grad. uh, We just spoke about that you're looking for people that have enough experience to really contribute to companies back home in their home countries or abroad. So how many years of experience, what career path should they take here in order to be able to better contribute to an emerging market?
1: So experience can mean a lot of different things. And keep in mind, one thing that is very unique about Western education is that there's a lot more vocational education and internships, um, or even co-op programs built into schools in North America than there are in um, a lot of emerging markets. So if we were to just focus on, let's say, uh, China and the U.S., most students when they're going through university in China won't have work experience or internships, but in the U.S. they will. And for a lot of students in the U.S., even if they're recent graduates without full-time experience, the fact that they speak English fluently and for some of the ones who, um, depending on how local of a company they want to work in, also speak Mandarin, then that fact alone will make them valuable for certain roles, um, especially when it comes to roles that require a certain amount of communication with foreign partners. There are also positions for recent graduates um, who perhaps studied computer science. And right off the bat, they already have a level of perhaps technical skills that puts them in an upper tier in the market already for for um, you know, entry level positions because they've had some experience in a more practical or uh, hands on skill set. Um, a lot of students who studied it theoretically or who uh, didn't have access to the same caliber of education. So there are a lot of ways in which this brain circulation can help and people don't have to be highly experienced in order to get good roles. But the challenge of course is just finding the right opportunities for the right background of people.
0: On your website, it says that you really try to verify the companies that you're placing people in. Uh, Could you speak more about that process? What kind of criteria do these companies need to meet for you to deem them? going somewhere. (laughs) Right.
1: So I don't actually think that all the companies necessarily have to be going somewhere because some of them are really great companies that are having good impact, but they're not rocket ship startups. Some of them are just traditional companies. Some of them are nonprofits. Some of them are trying to bank the unbanked. A lot of the companies we work with are just having an impact. And so our criteria for measurement is not about trajectory of revenue or headcount, but more about in many ways, whether or not there is a true and compelling reason why they would have global talent. And so oftentimes it is because they're growing quickly, they're globalizing, they're expanding into new markets. But sometimes it just means that their business model requires something that's cross-border. So an easy example might be a company that wants to help bring English education to more schools. Well, in that case, they want people who are native English speakers. And an American could be really valuable. So for that sort of company, what we're doing is vetting not on their growth trajectory, but more about whether or not they're a reputable company, whether or not we would ourselves feel comfortable you know, working with them or having our friends work with them. That's usually the the litmus test we use, is would we feel comfortable referring our own friends and family to work for this company? And if not, there is so much risk already involved sometimes with working at early stage companies or working overseas that we wouldn't feel justified in it.
0: And what about the other side? What kind of skills, criteria, maybe soft skills are you looking for that would fit what these companies might need and where are you finding them? Yeah,
1: well, you know, Charles Darwin had once said it's not the strongest or the smartest who survive, but the ones who are most adaptable to change. I think probably regardless of what skills they have, if it's education or data science or you know business development, probably the single most uh, consistent characteristic of all of our candidates is that they're really eager to learn and really adaptable to change. And in many ways, you have to be. If you're working in an emerging market context, then change is the one constant. And if you are open to that, or if you find this to be uniquely challenging and interesting, then people are a good fit for these roles. But there's a diversity of different positions, and that's why we're a marketplace. And we try to place people who have the requisite skills with the requisite roles. And sometimes those skills can be subdivided, and you can think of it as um, linguistic skills, because for some companies, you do need to be able to speak the local language to work with the team. Otherwise, it's really hard for them to integrate their, the team members. It could be linguistic skills. It could be technical skills. It could be work experience or even years of experience.
0: When you're sending these returnees, immigrants, expats abroad, they're going into an environment where they're working for a local company that may or may not be started by also foreigners, right? During my travels, I found that in a lot of the emerging markets, a lot of the companies that are receiving a lot of funding are actually those started by expats or returnees. How do you feel about that balance and When do you think there will be like a turning point where there'll be more locals? And do you think that Alaris might play a role in benefiting the local economy in the form of bringing up more local talent?
1: That's definitely part of our hope. Uh, Many of the organizations we work with are actually started by locals or a lot of them are local companies because you know we could help the foreign companies entering into the asian markets because they obviously also want to hire people there or we could help the companies there as they try to expand overseas and i think both are really valid and both are really useful Um, but our hope is you know when we think about economic development and capacity building part of it is building up the local talent pool and it's both Uh, It's both training up the local talent as well as importing talent that can Train up the local talent and that's part of the latter is what we really focus upon and for many of them like I mentioned before, because of this concept of brain circulation, which we really believe in, or reversing the brain drain, a lot of them are already coming in, perhaps having led technical teams in Minnesota or in California, and perhaps some of them have already studied under great advisors at these top universities, and they're really excited to start their own labs or to um, train the next generation of young leaders, because for many of them, I think they really see this as a way to have impact back in their home countries or in this country where they're more needed. And in some ways, if you think about how talent is distributed, a lot of it really is concentrated in pockets like Silicon Valley. But the extra engineer in Silicon Valley, if they were to be willing to go to Burundi, or if they were willing to go to Thailand, they'd actually be so much more impactful and have higher leverage there. And that's Kind of what we see as well that you know we're certainly not saying or implying that people who are from the west or western educated are better in any way it's just that there's something that they can offer that is probably either missing or in shorter supply in that local market and by coming back and being willing to really invest in that local ecosystem then they're really bringing a lot of value
0: well so how do these people find you how are you sourcing this talent
1: I think through a variety of ways. I mean, hopefully listeners to this podcast who find this interesting will sign up on Alaris.com. It's A-L-A-R-I-S-S.com. And um, as a side note, Alaris without the extra S is a Latin word for auxiliary cavalry, because we really believe that this is supporting the main troops or supporting the main efforts of uh, the global the global business ecosystem. Um, So people can find us through word of mouth. They sometimes find us, I suppose, through online searching. Um, We do some events, but so far it's been pretty organic.
0: What are the greatest challenges that you're facing in your business now? And what's stopping another company from doing something similar to what you are?
1: i think the more companies that actually want to tackle this space the the on some levels yeah the better it will be because this is not a one-size-fits-all solution and nor is this problem going away and many of the problems that we're addressing is the market failure between those who have um, a, a job or even a company that's in many ways bottlenecked in growth because it doesn't have the appropriate talent and on the other side, it's talent that's really interested in being able to contribute um, to an organization or to a country. And I think this market failure is even more pronounced when it comes to cross-border or international job markets. And there isn't currently a really good uh, market leader in that space. That's what we hope to be. But even absent of that, this this is a question that has been going on for you know centuries, if not millennia, which is... How do you really find the best ways to, um, I guess, maximize the value of a person? Um, And we talked a little bit about a lot of these concepts of immigration. But there's also very much this future of work concept, which is as more and more software and as more and more automation can take care of a lot of things that humans were previously doing, what is the best leverage for human talent? And a lot of that would come down to things that I think humans are uniquely positioned to provide uh, something that requires interpersonal dynamics that involves adaptability or strategic thinking. And certainly helping a national company or a national leader become a global leader is something that is a uniquely human problem to solve. How do you help this company become more reputable or earn more trust, uh, especially when it's a company that's coming from Asia or Africa or the Middle East, going into Western economies, there's inherently going to be a difficulty because they don't have as much brand equity as, let's say, an American company or a Canadian company that has perhaps in the past just enjoyed the benefit of the great branding of the U.S. or of Canada. So these are these are just interesting questions to ponder and to think about ways in which, you know, yes, more companies can definitely enter the scene, but the the challenge or the problem that I'm trying to solve, I think, is something that a lot of people will continue to
0: deal with. So now I have a, two questions for fire round. <laughs> It'll be really quick, so whatever, you know, comes to mind. So number one is, do you have a book that you recommend everyone?
1: I think Sapiens is a really interesting book, and um, particularly this concept around the mythologies and the constructions that society has. I, I find that... Um, A framework that I often use is just trying to see things from different angles and from different points of view. And this is especially useful when I'm working with um, clients from different cultures because a lot of things that I might take for granted are foreign to them, no pun intended, and vice versa. And so I can oftentimes understand why there are a lot of miscommunications and misunderstanding when people work across cultures. And part of it is just because the fundamental things we hold to be true are different. And I I think it's really important for everyone to always think of that.
0: Have you read Homo Deus, the next book after Sapiens Uh, yet? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Um, And second question. What is the greatest piece of advice that you've been given? The
1: greatest piece of advice that I've been given, I've been given a lot of really amazing advice. So um, one that does come to mind immediately is... uh, is that people don't always remember what you've said, but they remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly important, again, especially because oftentimes messages can be lost in translation, but you want to make sure that you leave each conversation making someone feel good or at least positively towards you.
0: Um, Thanks so much for doing this with me, Joyce.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Ivy.
0: Joyce is looking to connect with fast-growing companies based in emerging markets or job candidates that have a desire to have global impact. You can connect with her at contact at Alaris.com. That's contact at A-L-A-R-I-S-S.com. Hope you guys can connect soon. That's it for episode two. If you loved it, have questions, or have any specific topics or regions you'd like me to cover, I love to connect and be friends. Please send me a direct message on Instagram at ivyxfine. If this episode has helped you out at all, it would be incredible if you can share it with another non-technical in tech and leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you guys so much and see you in the next episode.